the threat of losing a job is probably greater now than it's been for some time. That comes as no surprise to anyone. We're constantly hearing of cuts and layoffs and furloughs, and they pretty much all mean the same thing. Someone is losing their job. I'm sure that some feel more secure than others due to seniority and the assumed indispensability of a position, but every one of us needs to be preparing for dismissal, if not from a job, from life itself. Things are not always going to be as they now are. Our life here is temporary, and those of us who are Christians understand that. Still, it's easy to get caught up in daily living, so caught up that we lose sight of the eternal and get so caught up in making a living that we assume what we have belongs to us. We forget that we are stewards who will one day have to give an account to our master and who will someday be dismissed from our present position. One of the parables that Jesus used to remind us of this is the one to which we come today. And if there was ever a parable that makes us think, this is it. We're studying in Luke's Gospel. We're ready for the 16th chapter, beginning with the first nine verses. Now he was saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the stewardship away from me, I am not strong enough to dig I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I told you this parable would make you think. 
it's notoriously hard to understand. And I'm sure it's been debated since the day Jesus spoke it. But before we jump to any conclusions about what Jesus is and is not saying here, let's make a few observations about the parable itself. The first thing we notice is that Jesus is telling this parable to the disciples and not to the Pharisees, like the previous parable. And there is a direct connection, however, between the previous parable and this one. The son we call the prodigal had squandered his share of his father's estate. He had wasted it. That's what it means to be prodigal. And the steward in this parable was accused of squandering his master's possessions. Both had wasted that which had been entrusted to them. Now, when the son came to his senses, he repented. We saw that last week. He went back to his father, ready to confess what he had done. When the steward realized he was about to be exposed, rather than throw himself on the mercy of the one he had cheated, he sought to draw others into his sin by making them beneficiaries of further deceit, he hoped they would repay him in his foreseeable time of need. When the master discovered what he had done, however, rather than being outraged by the deceit, he actually praised the steward for being shrewd. Now, that hits us in the face. Jesus then noted that the sons of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the sons of light. And he encouraged his disciples to make friends for themselves by their use of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, don't let that phrase scare you off. It simply means worldly riches. He encouraged his disciples to make sure they were using their worldly riches in a way that they would be received into eternal dwellings. Now, be sure to notice that Jesus did not encourage his disciples to be deceitful or unrighteous in the use of riches. He merely pointed out that the sons of this age are more shrewd than are the sons of light in this regard. And the steward of the parable was indeed shrewd when it came to using that which had been entrusted to him in a way that would provide for him a secure future. He didn't want a future digging ditches or begging. So he figured out a way to have a good life after being dismissed from his stewardship. The fact that his master didn't seem to be upset about being cheated has led some to suggest that the steward actually only shorted himself of commissions 
that were due him as steward. And if that's the case, he was simply giving up present rewards to secure for himself future rewards. And that, that sounds good. That kind of softens our negative reaction to this parable, especially if we think Jesus was praising him for what he did. But again, Jesus did not praise him for what he did. He merely noted that what he did was shrewd. And if he was doing what it appears on the face of the parable that he was doing, that he was, in fact, cheating his master out of what was due him, he certainly did it shrewdly. He called in his master's debtors one at a time to avoid witnesses. And then he reduced their debts by differing percentages. Now, some have suggested that was due to differing interest rates on differing commodities. But I think it was done to make it less obvious to the master that he had been cheated. You know, if everyone's debt had been reduced by the same amount, it would be easy to figure out what the steward had done. And getting only half of what had been expected would have been readily noticed. By mixing up the numbers, he made it harder to detect. He was very shrewd. And the master who praised him apparently admired shrewdness more than honesty. Perhaps that should not surprise us. Jesus does note that the sons of this age are shrewd in relation to their own kind. And the steward and the master may have been of the same kind. The master may have shared the steward's character. And his praise may have come from honor among thieves. Be that as it may, Jesus does not praise the man's dishonesty. He merely noted his shrewdness. And he then encouraged his disciples to be shrewd. The word can also be translated prudent or sensible. Shrewd enough to make friends for themselves through the use of riches who would then receive them into eternal dwellings. Now that can be interpreted a couple of ways. Whether Jesus was suggesting that we should invest our money in ways that get the gospel out to others who will then be in heaven to welcome us when we arrive is a possibility. Or he may be merely noting that we should be good stewards of what we have on earth so God and the heavenly hosts will receive us into eternal dwellings. Either way, the point he will go on to make is that we must be faithful. Verses 10 through 13. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? 
And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I think it's pretty clear here that Jesus is exhorting his disciples to faithfulness. And this exhortation to faithfulness removes any possibility that Jesus was promoting deceit and unrighteous behavior in the parable. He's using the steward in the parable as an example of what not to be. His disciples cannot be like the steward. They must be faithful, even in little things. They must not carelessly squander their master's possessions, and obviously they must not deceitfully cheat him out of that which belongs to him. And if they're tempted to mishandle little things for dishonest gain, they will certainly prove to be unrighteous when it comes to handling things of even more value. If they're unfaithful in the use of material possessions, unrighteous mammon, they certainly won't be entrusted with the true riches, that which is eternal. And if they've not been faithful with that which belongs to another, they won't be given treasure of their own. Jesus is warning his disciples to not be like the unrighteous steward. Now, his master overlooked his unrighteousness, but our master will not. If we expect to be entrusted with that which is eternal, we must prove ourselves to be righteous in our stewardship of that which has been entrusted to us in this life. And that means we cannot assume that what we have is ours to squander as we see fit. We must never forget that all we have belongs to our Lord. And as stewards, we will be held accountable for what we do with that which belongs to him. We have declared our intent to make him our Lord, our master. And no one can serve two masters. And not only can money become our master, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. For as Paul also noted, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The master in the parable may have been impressed with his steward's shrewdness. And he was at least shrewd enough to use the resources that had been entrusted to him to prepare for the future. But our master is not going to overlook the unrighteous use of what he has entrusted to us. If we allow money to master us, if we love it more than we love him, we will not be received into eternal dwellings 
he has prepared for us. And while the steward may have thought he could fool his master, we can't fool God. Verses 14 through 18. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Now, those verses almost seem disjointed. Some tend to think that Luke inserted them there. I don't think so. They do fit. It's brief, but they make a point. You know, Jesus was talking to the disciples, but the Pharisees were listening. And telling his disciples not to be lovers of money seemed ludicrous to the Pharisees because Jesus and the disciples appeared to be paupers anyway. So they scoffed at Jesus. The word means to uh, turn up their noses at him. He responded by saying, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. The Pharisees did their best to look good in the eyes of men. They gave the appearance of being righteous, all the while being greedy lovers of money and honor and prestige. And even if they were highly esteemed in the eyes of men, as the steward in his parable had been in the eyes of his master, what they were doing was detestable. In the sight of God. They appeared to be in good stead with God, but they weren't. They claimed allegiance to the law and the prophets, but they did not accept the fulfillment of those prophecies. When the gospel of the kingdom of God was proclaimed and multitudes were so excited about the coming of the kingdom, they were forcing their way in. The Pharisees refused to acknowledge it. Claiming an allegiance to the law, they rejected what Jesus was proclaiming. But Jesus was the one who was faithful to the law. He didn't change the law, not even a curly cue on a single letter of the law. They did, on the other hand. They changed the law to suit their own purposes. They watered down, for example, the laws on divorce to such an extent that a man could divorce his wife if she burnt his toast. That's the way they handled the law. 
Jesus interpreted the law as God intended, even though it was not popular then or now. They were the ones who were unfaithful in observance of the law, not Jesus, even though they appeared to be even more righteous and holy and law-abiding than he and were esteemed by men. They played the angles, and they thought they were fooling God. They loved riches so much that they wouldn't even give to their parents in a time of need. They claimed they had nothing to give because they loved God so much that they had dedicated everything they had to him. But God knew their hearts. They may have been esteemed in the sight of men, but they were detestable in the sight of God. They were nothing but unrighteous stewards. And one day he would call them for an accounting, and they would be dismissed from their stewardship. As I said, this is a hard parable. To grasp. And there is possibility for some misunderstanding when we just read it. But I think the message of the parable is clear. One day, we will be called to give an account of our stewardship. And if we have not been faithful over the things with which we have been entrusted in life, things that do not actually even belong to us, we will not be given things of our own to enjoy for all eternity. So without being unrighteous, we must be shrewd. We must be prudent in the use of what's been entrusted to us. We must be, as Jesus stated in Matthew 10, 16, shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. We must make friends for ourselves in heaven through the faithful use of unrighteous mammon here on earth. We must be willing to give up immediate gratification something here and now, to be able to reap something far, far greater in the future. We must be preparing for our ultimate dismissal today. And that means we must be resolved to keep our eyes on things that are higher, things that are nobler.